Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Make no mistake. If you're an author, you're an entrepreneur. You're selling the world on your book, aren't you? Of course, it's not as easy as launching a business and then tossing any old book up on Amazon. That's why I help entrepreneurs publish books on the specific topic and in the specific way that will launch or grow their businesses. Welcome to Entrepreneur Publishing Academy with your professor, Anna David. Hi there, what's up entrepreneurs? This is Entrepreneur Publishing Academy with your host and professor, Anna David. You know what we do? We talk to entrepreneurs and best-selling authors about how to build a business with your book. And oh, brought to you by Book Elevator Pitch if you want to know what that is. If you are writing a nonfiction book, you need a Book Elevator Pitch. I've already told you that in this show. But go to bookelevatorpitch.com to grab it. And today's guest is an expert in all things newsletters. Now, newsletters are one of these things that when I say to a new author, you need a newsletter list, I see something between sheer panic and just sheer boredom, like the bizarre combination sort of cross their face. Well, it's it's the truth. You need to start one. And my guest today gives you very actionable tips on how to do it. We talked about um, the best newsletter provider to start with, average open rates, why to be vulnerable in your emails, how and why to split test, whether or not you should resend emails to subscribers who don't open, and so much more. Her name? You want to know her name? Her name is Holly Darling. Isn't that cute? Holly Darling. She's the owner of Holly Darling HQ, a business that focuses on helping authors create and implement their email marketing strategies. And she is also an author. So grab the show notes by going to LegacyLaunchpadPub.com slash blog slash Holly, H-O-L-L-Y. And now I give you Holly Darling. So here we go. Thanks for being here, Holly. Thanks for having me, Anna. So let us talk about newsletter lists, how they are. I just had Jane Friedman on the podcast. She said it's the number one thing authors need. I would say anecdotally, it's the number one thing authors are reticent to start doing. You are an expert. (laughs) What do you think? Well, it um, it always strikes me as funny when authors are hesitant to um, write newsletters until I remember um, the reasons that I've gathered over the years. But yeah, I um, I think that newsletters are the best single best way to um, build brand loyalty, create conversions, 
get data from, you know, data to drive new business making decisions, um, just to basically connect with your readers, regardless of the genre that you write, regardless of how many books you have written or are thinking of writing newsletters, um, our data that you own, but also we're storytellers by nature for writing a book, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, um, we can talk and we can talk with words. So why not use that medium, right? Yeah, I do think it's looking at it as another creative outlet rather than, oh my God, this thing I have to do. Yeah, it's an extension of your voice, you know, and uh, you, once I find, once I work with authors and they, they kind of see that the vulnerability piece, which is usually what's, um, you know, one of the things like, I don't want somebody to unsubscribe that feels you know, or it feels icky if I'm selling or all these things. When we create strategies that just eliminate those, um, it really is um, fun, you know, and you can get right into it as an extension of who you are and what you want to teach people or entertain people with or anything like that. Okay. So the number one question, how do you start? How do you get those first subscribers? Yeah. The unfortunate reality of first subscribers is is always, you know, it's friends and family to start with before anybody really kind of knows you as far as who do you ask. But even before that, I always say there's a conscious decision. And for me, it's in a plan for others. It's got to be something they decide um, whether they're going to make social media their hub, I call it their hub, or their list their hub. And I am obviously in favor of making your list, your hub. And that just makes it easy for all conversations, whether marketing or one-to-one or however that looks like and speaking engagements, come to this, to come to my website, join my list. Uh, and you're just moving all things in that direction. Then it's not hard to remember to do that, right? Like, oh, well, I have a Facebook page and I have an Instagram page and I have a list. It gets lost, you know, but um, lists are data that you own. And if you think about that, um, conversion uh, in, in not just in terms of revenue, but in terms of um, the ability to connect with somebody with a traceable, you know, footprint um, lists being the first point of entry to your, um, you know, to your brand is always a good idea. However, yeah, it, when you're first starting, it's completely intimidating and terrifying. There's the technical stuff and then there's the marketing piece, right? So um, getting started with, without any followers, you have to a be comfortable with having 10, 10 people on your list for a little while and, and thinking of it as a marketing experiment, you know, like, well, I'm going to take these 10 people and I'm going to test a lot of theories out on them, you know, or I'm going to try some stuff and see what works. Um, but then, um, there are different ways that you can, um, grow those 10 to 20 and so on and so on. And, and um, some ways are easier than others. They would be lead magnets, you know, so you could create something that um, um, holds value for your readers. And, and in fiction, that can be, you know, short stories, previews, downloadables, and nonfiction, it's easy. It's, I think it's easier. It's downloadables or it's educational content. Um, but my one piece of advice is to start now, whether you're published or not. Um, and that way you're spending some time, yes, getting data and testing things, but also building that brand loyalty. And those people will become, um, like, you know, in the fiction world, they can become arc readers. So advanced reader copies, and they are the ones that will be your sales team. You know, they, 
because they have grown with you. And if you're, if you are brave and vulnerable and, and talk about that journey with them, um, they're rooting for you and they'll reply to you and ask you if they can help. And that, that small little group of people that you start with um, can become invaluable. So those low, those small numbers that feel insignificant and feel um, sometimes embarrassing, like, oh, I only have hundred people on my list. Oh my gosh. Those are the times that you can do so much with those hundred people, as opposed to having 50,000 and it, you have a whole new set of problems connecting with people. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I answered your question. You there, did. But, I mean, yeah. I, I think that's really important. First of all, your open rates are going to be a million times better, yes. which is really uh, the number that, that matters the most. And I think it's, I, I swear, I, so many people lie about their numbers because I cannot tell you how many people I talk to and I go, oh, how big is your list? They're like, pretty small, like 10. And I'm like, oh, they mean 10 people, 10,000. I'm like, yeah, I don't believe you. People mm-hmm. are lying. <laughs> we don't know. I think we don't, are. but it's again, it's like that vanity metric, right? That, that people are like, well, if I say I only have a thousand, they will think I'm less than, yeah. you know, less of an author or less of a speaker or what have you. But, um, I mean, I've had 10,000 and I've had, and I have reduced that list to 2000 and then regrown again, and then gone back to that because it's all about the quality of your list, not the quantity of your list. hundred percent. So what would you say is a good open rate? I know it depends on the number of people on your list, but what do you say? Yeah, so it, it does depend on a, a whole bunch of things, but if you're looking at across the board averages, I would say like averages are somewhere between 20 and 22. Now they feel like more like 30 to 45 with you know somewhat inflated open rates due to the Apple um, uh, privacy policy. Uh, but different industries have higher rates. Um, the entertainment industry has a higher rate, uh, open rate. Um, you know, food and accommodation has a higher open rate. It just really depends um, on, you know, the audience that you're reaching. Um, But I mean, most people that I work with land realistic, like, so realistically, and I say that because, because of the inflation that is, you know, being seen now since September, um, you know, somewhere between 25 and 35 is kind of where most people sit. But again, um, thinking about the click rate that goes along with it. So the open rate is like first, you know, first point of entry, important metric to kind of keep an eye on. And then my, my more, once you start to have something to kind of offer them, or you have a call to action, that click rate becomes very important as well. So where do they both kind of average out? Um, but yeah, people get upset. You know, I have an open rate of 15%. I'm like, okay, so let's figure out why and what, like what happened. Um, maybe you have a huge, you've sent an email to everybody on your list that typically if you have larger lists, that will give you a lower open rate, but it's not the end of the world. It's just data, right? And Exactly. Um, what would you say, this is what it's, what I've sort of observed in the last couple of years is it feels like people got burned out on lead magnets. And a lot of times I, I can also say anecdotally myself, I'm more likely to sign up because they describe what's in the newsletter. And that looks interesting to me. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, I think the lead magnet has to um, solve a problem. They, it has to be communicated clearly 
but just assuming that having something free, having the word free in there is going to convert into, um, you know, a registration um, is, is, you know, a recipe for not getting a great conversion rate. Uh, I think clarity is what sells and, um, yeah, I mean, especially in the, the, the nonfiction space, uh, people have turned up, it just kind of goes right by their eyes. Like that word free is either, you know, feels like spam or it feels like, yeah, whatever. They really need to connect with you, right? And that's what it's all about. And you, inside of the newsletter, I think, um, needs to follow up with that connection, but also needs to deliver that more importantly than the, the downloadable, because I can count maybe on one hand, how many times I've actually used the downloadable that, you know, I've gone somewhere to, to get, but I've thought that that downloadable would solve a problem, but in reality, it's the person delivering it and the stuff that they, the value that they send in the newsletter to follow up with that. It really has no bearing on whether, um, I continue to subscribe or unsubscribe. So lead magnets, I think, um, are due a bit of a, you know, of a, change, you know, as far as what they are and how they work. Um, but again, uh, it's all about testing, right? If you see that you're not getting those conversions, then try something different. Lead magnets don't always equal people signing up for your list. Yeah. One thing I'm doing now is I have one page that's just, this is what is in this best-selling book bulletin. And one that is, here is, uh, how you do an elevator pitch. You'll get this download. Um, just to see, have one actionable and one just promote it. They, you know, they both, they both attract people, but I found with a lead magnet actionable, um, you know, give somebody, they can do something that where they get a quick win. You want the dopamine rise from your Yeah, exactly. I like video. I like something where they can see your face, um, where they can make that trust decision, uh, or, um, yeah, or something they don't have to print out because they're like, a lot of people don't have printers. Some people don't, you know, all these things, but yeah. What can you give them that actually moves them forward and the journey and the reason why they came to you in the first place? Um, don't make them do more work, make it easy, but also make it clear. Yeah. So nurture sequence is another thing that I have somewhat abandoned because I got so sick of them from other people. Six, six things that all follow the same format. I do like two or one. Where do you stand on the nurture sequence and explain what a nurture sequence is? Yeah. So a nurture sequence is just the follow-up um, email, ser- email or series of emails that come um, to your subscriber after they have joined your list. Um, at, I love a nurture sequence, but I don't love a a random nurture sequence that just pushes things down, you know, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, um, in the author space, you know, in the fiction, it's like, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book and nonfiction. It's you need to do this and buy my course and do this and buy my course and do this and buy my, my program or what have you. Um, it feels inauthentic. It doesn't also have to be any more than one email. Uh, and it can be a lot of emails. It really depends, but I don't think, I think one mistake a lot of people make when they do add a nurture sequence into their newsletter system is that they're sending that sequence and it has a decent amount of, of emails and they're, and they're set 24 hours apart or something. And then they're also sending, you know, weekly newsletters or maybe twice a week newsletters to people. This happens a lot in the 
nonfiction space where you're trying to help somebody with your regular newsletter and they're going through your sequence, nurture sequence, and then they're getting two or three emails a week. And they're like, whoa, like too much. And sometimes they're landing boom, boom, right after each other. And it just doesn't, it's not conducive to getting anything opened because people got like, okay, I, I'm not going to be overwhelmed. Yeah. So um, uh, Kajabi and, and drip allow you to not, they don't get your weekly until they're through the nurture. So yeah, that is something that's good. And, and all other places you can get that set up, but it's, t- it takes like remembering to manually exclude, you know, put them in a group and then exclude them or tag them or whatever, but it's totally doable. But nine times out of 10 is not done. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, back to how long they could be. I, it depends if you are an author with a backlist, you can make it a bit longer, but I say spread the time out between those emails and make it intentional. Like the, the word and my word in 2022 for emails is customization. And that doesn't mean that everybody gets their own email, but based on their actions. So things they've clicked or done, um, send them something that really means something to them. That's Mm -hmm. valuable to them. You know, um, in the fiction space, maybe it's a trope or a theme that comes along that, you know, they said, Oh yeah, I really love political thrillers. Then you can set a a sequence up to kind of deliver them your political thrillers. Um, If you have nothing to offer them, like you're just kind of new and you're starting out and a welcome sequence can be one email, like, thanks for signing up. Um, You know, I would love a video, at least so they can kind of get to know you. Um, and, and tell them what to expect. Like I send weekly emails or I send them every month or whatever, so that they're not like, what the heck is happening? You know, like, who are all these, what are, who is this person? Um, remind them how they got there, why they're there and what they're going to get from that point forward. And then stick to that. Don't slide into, you know, one way or the other, never emailing them or emailing yeah. them all the time. Anna here. Now, are you an entrepreneur who wants to write and publish a book about your own failures turned successes? Well, good news. That's what my company, Legacy Launchpad, does. Find out more at LegacyLaunchpadPub.com. That's LegacyLaunchpadPub.com. Now, should you do a book, you ask? I think so. Why? Because you're worth it. Now back to the show. I'm taking notes because you're giving me so many great ideas. Um, a video as part of that sequence, you know, I just signed up for Bonjuro and I had this, this d- day where I'm like, I'm going to send a, new, a video, personal video to everyone who subscribes. And then I realized that's absolutely impossible, yeah. but would be cool. It looks like their free plan allows, you know, if you're new to, to, and you don't have that many people subscribing every day, that seems yeah. like a good service. Exactly. That's something again, that you can do with a small list, you yeah. know, where, you're like, okay, I can do this. Or you can just film a blanket general video. Hey, I'm Holly. Thanks for joining, you know, um, whatever, whatever. Uh, and it's pretty generalized, but those cut that, again, that custom piece, you can fool around with that and then see if that, did you get any response? And pe- people will typically reply to that. And if you get nothing, then you're like, okay, well, that's not worth it to continue on. Um, maybe I'll try something else, but thinking again, people are reading these on mobile. They're in a hurry. What are your own feelings about emails in your inbox? And typically you can start with the smallest, assuming that the people joining have similar feelings, maybe not the exact same, but they might be overwhelmed or um, reading in a hurry 
only want short emails, don't want something that goes on and on and on forever, um, don't have the time to upload a video. So you want to make sure that that upload time is good. All these things, um, when you're trying to make a decision, I always say head to your own inbox and see what's happening there and what you like and what you don't like. Um, try to use that for inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, except like something like I hate emojis in uh, newsletters. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's some weird OCD thing. I see it and it gets upsetting to me on the subject line. However, I hear emojis are great in a subject line. What about little tricks like that? Yeah. I don't use emojis very often. Um, but same thing. Funny enough, when I see one, it stops me. Right. Um, so it depends. Overuse of anything tends to not be a great idea. So you could split test it. And so you have one subject line for part of your list and another mm. the same email and give them a different subject line. And it's easy sometimes as one subject line and one with, with an emoji and see if one of them gets opened more often than the other, and you have your answer, whether you dislike them or not. And then I would say, use them sporadically, right? Only yeah. for, um, you know, emails that are super important that you can get a call to action going that equals revenue typically is when I will pull out some of the big stops, you know, but subject lines um, are a whole workshop in and of themselves, but thinking along the lines of, um, you know, there are things that are, you shouldn't put in subject lines, like that will have you flagged as spam right away, such as the word free, lots of exclamation marks, um, uh, really, really, really long subject lines, um, things that, um, use the, the word you like, Hey, you, those kinds of things there's, and the words change all the time and it's really impossible to keep track of them, but there are, those are some of the key things that typically will get you sent right into the spam folder, um, especially as a new author who hasn't really got their deliverability rates kind of up and running. Um, my, but my biggest thing with subject lines is um, keeping a subject line file of those that you like inside your inbox. Oh, that was cool. I like that file it for inspiration. Try to figure out a way to um, use it that works for your brand. Um, don't overuse emojis, uh, punctuation, capitalization, um, but try things that aren't really being done. Like I've got, you know, a, a, um, President Obama once sent an email that just said, hey, and I'm like, well, that was weird, you know, but I opened it and like, well, so then I started experimenting with, hey, and it, it works, but again, not overusing it and thinking yeah. about if I was sending an email to a friend, what would my subject line be? And I talk, and I struggle with subject lines to friends all the time, especially I don't want to like open this up, you know, or whatever. But then sometimes like, well, maybe I'll use that for, um, you know, for my newsletter, open this up. Or if you can ask them a leaning question to will often work, like, I can't believe this happened. Or um, uh, it, did you see, did you see the news? Like anything that kind of is the question that leaves them hanging, like, well, no, I want to know what that is, you know? And um, those are often really good as in a sense, in a, like a plain sentence structure. Um, some people like to use all lowercase. It feels very friendly, you know, like, oh, if I'm sending something to a friend, I tend not to capitalize and punctuate, you know, that it feels um, friendly. You can use personalization. I don't often use it, but some experts swear by it where you insert their first name into the email. Um, but again, all of these things are things you can try 
I highly recommend most email service providers offer you the ability to A-B test your subject lines. So you can put a couple in, let it run for a couple hours and see what happens. Do you, that's great. Do you recommend uh, resending to people who don't open a couple of days later? It depends. I'll do that only for what I call revenue generating emails. So if there's a call to action in there that I really want things to happen, like your book launch or um, you've got a pre-order uh, or you're appearing somewhere where there's ticket sales or there's something happening that you can you can visibly track an ROI on the click that happens there. Um, I'll resend and opens with the knowledge that that open rate again is often twenty um, percent of it is often non-reliable because it's come from an iOS user where they're flagged as open no matter what. Mm. Um, so it's hard to know if they really have opened it, and then sometimes they'll get duplicates if they haven't opened it. But again, a way around that is just change, make sure it's a completely different subject line. Yeah, uh, and and even go so far as to change like the 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 top line entry line the salutation or something inside the email. And then if they do happen to open both, there's a bit of a different feel mm-hmm. there, um, and they're not seeing that them stack up in their inbox where they're like. I know some authors that consistently do this with every single email. And now they've trained me to like not open the first email because I know it'll come again. Right. And you don't want to do that. (laughs) So, so yeah, I think they're important, but I don't think they're use it every email important. Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of uh, deliverability, do you think on the original email, the first one saying, hey, write me back with blah, 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 so that you're training their inbox to, to, not, to not ever recognize it as spam. Do you think that's important? It is important, but it's really hard to get that call to action to happen. Uh, so the response and then your response again is kind of closing the loop is ultimately kind of a gold star in deliverability. However, it's hard to happen. So sometimes I put the, I'll put a block or sorry, a button um, in, and instead of a link behind the button, I'll use the code mail to colon, and then my email address. And then if they click that button, it automatically bring, brings up their email um, um, sending outbox and fill, it auto fills your email address in there. And you can even write some more code if you wanted to that has a subject line ready for them and all that. So if making it really easy, um, but also kind of leading them right to that, that button that you oh, would like. Great. Um, it works well. I love it. Um, so in terms of, you said early on, sort of pick your lane, are you going to do social media? Or are you going to do newsletters? What if you want to do both? Yeah, I do both, but, um, everybody that knows me over on this, my social channels knows that um, if they want to get more information, they need to be on the list. So it's a constant conversation that's being had had over on social media. Um, let's say like, for instance, on Facebook, it would be, you know, the button goes to my like a landing page that, to join the list. The lead magnet offer is there. If it's on TikTok, the link is heading to a landing page where they can join. You know, it's I, those are um, intentional um pathways that I've set up and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, every so many social media posts is, are you on the list today? We, today they got this lesson, you know, or, 
um, ending, you know, in my fictional, I'm also um, a fictional author. So in, in that it's, you know, um, join my list to get this book free, you know, to read this book free is, is in the rotation, you know, and it's not every day, but it is there. And on pinned posts, there's join the list, click this link, get the lead magnet, blah, blah, blah. So Mm -hmm. and Instagram now allows pinned posts. Yes. So it's part of the conversation. My link in bio is definitely to, um, to a landing page to get a downloadable. Um, it's, it's just, part of my intention. I don't think, I don't think you need to do one or the other. I think they can complement each other. However, I think lists are much more effective at selling and socials are much more effective or as effect can be as effective at educating. Mm. And, um, oh God, I had an important question, but then I got distracted by this. Here's my important question. Um, do you think if you're going to do one link, it's more important to get them on your list or to get them to your book? list because you can continue to sell to them as you, as your backlist grows, as you write more things, as you make appearances. Um, I'm a big fan of getting them on the list. The first email in a welcome sequence can do some work at like, you know, if you want to purchase the book, here it is, blah, blah, blah. But then um, like conversion rates on lists are in the 20 to 20 to 30% range on average for conversion rates on social media, when you want to sell them something, you know, are like typically less than 1% with the outliers that, that have, you know, kind of gone there. Um, It's just such a more reliable space where you own the process, you own the visibility and you own what happens after. So what if, in terms of live appearances, do you recommend, um, you know, sort of having a place where they can physically write down their names and email addresses, or is there a better way to do that? Um, yeah, definitely. I definitely would. Or you can do use technology and you can have something pre-planned, you know, um, when I do speaking events, um, I've got like, it's, they have their own little landing page. Um, we do, it depends on how the, the conference is set up. You know, for that, if you're at a conference, you know, then usually the organizers have some sort of tech delivery, you know, going on um, during speaking events, like here's the slides, here's the, here, you know, is a a coupon code, here is how to join her list. Um, When I'm doing like book signings or things like that live, um, you can, I usually would have an iPad, you know, there with the landing page, then it's totally, uh, I know I'm legal, I know I'm, I'm got everything kind of working, but you can do a, a very standard pen paper, as long as you get the right pieces of information and the consent that you need. Um, I don't think you should be without an ask to a list, regardless of where you're at. Yeah. Even the grocery store, even Thanks. the, even yeah. the Starbucks. Yeah. Um, well, fantastic. Um, is there anything I haven't asked you about email lists that, that you'd love to share? Oh, oh, what about putting um, a sign up in your, in your book always and oh, do you yeah. put it in the front? I have it in both front and back. Not everybody does. The reason I do, so I have it in the front, um, a different offer, different landing page. Um, and I'm like, oh, wow, you love my book so much. You signed up for my list before you even read it. You know, oh, I love it. Um, and uh, that's just in case they never get back to the rest of the book. And then I have it right after the end. And I, I know that 
Sometimes there's preview stamp chapters. Sometimes there's this, that, and the other thing. But again, thinking that that's my hub, that's where I want everybody to go. Um, I will move them onto my list um, right away at the end, at the back matter. And it also um, tracks that. I track that in the list and I track their behaviors, but they also get a little special something for having read the whole book and then joining the list. So I can see where they came in as well. It's important. I love it. I love it. And of course, with nonfiction, it can definitely be get the glossary, get the cheat sheets, whatever it is that will enhance their experience of having read the book. Yeah. As long as it connects to what they've just read, there's typically a really great pickup on that bonus Mm -hmm. content. In terms of, um, do you think MailChimp is the, the easiest one to start with? MailChimp? feels like it's the easiest one to start with because they've done a really great job at um, marketing and making that name synonymous with email marketing. However, they're not, they have some, in the past few years, there have been some changes at MailChimp that I think um, don't make them the best choice for brand new authors. Um, I know that MailerLite has a free service under a thousand subscribers. And the reason, the big difference between them, especially for new to email list is the service. Um, with MailChimp, when you're at the free space, you don't get any customer service or assistance. With something, excuse me, with a program like MailerLite, they do offer all the customer service you need with their free program uh, wow. under a thousand and all the full automations, full everything. Wow. And with the exception of a few templates, but you get to use them for a couple of weeks. Um, where with MailChimp, you got to really start to upgrade if you want to um, talk to anybody and get more than, you know, more than the basic stuff that's there. Um, as far as integrations go, like how they integrate nicely with websites, MailChimp typically integrates with a lot of those templated websites easily, but all email service providers can do that. It just, just takes a few extra steps. If I can say anything useful today, it's avoid drip at all costs. I nearly had 17 breakdowns during the brief time I was using drip. I don't know if you have experience with that. I've used them once for a client work that I was doing, but I've never personally used them. Oh, my dear. Um, Sorry. One more thing I just remembered. Uh, You sort of touched on this, but while working on a book, do you think absolutely share at, you know, hey guys, I just started on my new book. Hey, I'm on chapter three, really bringing them into the process so that they're invested. hundred percent. I haven't released a book in like a year and a half, which is abnormal, but pandemic, all those kinds of things. Right. But I have not stopped sending newsletters and I just um, typed the end on one and sent a book off to the editor and wrote a newsletter. And I've been getting replies all morning, like, Oh, you're back. Yay. Congratulations. You know, it doesn't have to be weekly updates, but I think it should be consistent updates. Like here's where I'm at. This is, and you're getting them excited. You're getting them invested um, in your success. And again, when you're ready to, to tell them, go buy the book, they are ready to buy the book as opposed to trying to build that list. in those critical times when a book comes out is when you can get the most organic lift from anything, right. You know, and you want to have your list start to, um, push that, you know, a little bit. Okay. I love it. Now, is there anything that I've neglected to ask you that would be useful for listeners? I don't think so. I think the biggest thing that I can say is just do it now. Don't wait, do it now. Um, and stay consistent. You know, if you choose to write a newsletter and you pick, I'm going to pick Tuesdays, 
um, first Tuesday of every month, a monthly newsletter. Great. Stay consistent because all these changes that you make and like, oh, I'm not, okay, I have nothing to write about. A, you probably always do have something you just aren't sure if it's going to work or not. Just do it. But it, it messes with your deliverability if you keep changing things. So stay consistent, um, but do it. Just start doing it. And we should mention you help authors do this. So what if someone listening wants to find out more information about that? Sure. You can um, hang out with me. My website is hollydarlinghq.com and there's lots of free stuff there, free little mini courses, uh, a blog, and and you can join my Facebook uh, group where we talk emails every single day and we do lots of that. Or you can um, take a course. They're very non-genre specific um, just there are specific courses, um, and then there are general email courses, or you can just, um, ask me to help you with your email strategy, which I do quite a bit. I love it. I'll put those links in the show notes. Um, so thank you so much, Holly. This was so informative, so many action steps I know I'm going to take. So I imagine you all will too. So thanks so much for being here and, thanks for um, having me. and you guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me this week on Entrepreneur Publishing Academy with Anna David. For more info about the show, go to entrepreneurpublishing.academy where you can get links to show notes and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, and all the other places. Speaking of those places, if you got anything out of this show, I can't tell you how much I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes and please Don't forget you can tell an author or entrepreneur friend about the show. Another forget-me-not, my company Legacy Launchpad Publishing is available to help industry leaders and those with stories to share at any stage in their publishing journeys, whether that's writing, editing, or publishing. Just go to LegacyLaunchpadPub.com to find out more. And be sure to tune in next week for next week's episode. You know, if you subscribe, you never have to worry about missing one.